Okay, everybody, and welcome back to your, hopefully your favorite podcast. You know who likes this podcast? Lindsay, did you hear? I'm sorry, hey. Musical Splitting the Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kava Teharian. With me is this person that I found on the street. She was wearing a mask, <laughs> thankfully. What's her name again? <laughs> Lindsay Ellis. Lindsay Ellis. Oprah's new fave. Oprah. We were featured on... Uh, we, and the best part about this is that this article came out like a month ago. And somehow it missed both of our fucking Google alerts. <laughs> yeah, it keeps happening. <laughs> like I was uh, like for my uh, book, which comes out in July. Ooh. I was in the Phil. Yeah, we were. I was in the Philadelphia Inquirer for one of their like top ten books for the summer. Had to Google myself. Nice. <laughs> Google alerts dropping the ball. <laughs> I think Spotify. Here we come. We're we're gonna we're gonna ride the coattails of Joe Rogan. We're yeah, gonna exactly. be the next hundred million dollar podcast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we're coming. <laughs> and we'll never we'll never have to do sponsorship reads again. I mean, I like I, I like doing the vo- I like doing the sponsorship reads. I got to be honest. It's you're fun. very good at it. It's, people people are always like, yeah, sell me that <laughs> nebula. With that smooth, yeah. smooth like silk ad read. The two, the two things I get compliments are on is the uh, the ad reads, and then also the Fred Durst voice, which for some reason yeah. has gained traction over the past week. I don't know. Is it, is it because we mentioned <laughs> it last week? I don't know yeah. why. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. You're gonna have to do it again this yeah. time because oh. we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're about to do another musical Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to everyone listening to this. It's been a squirrely few months, but <laughs> the rest of the world would know nothing about that. Anyway, today I yeah, I decided that we needed to really uh start examining some classics because all of the musicals we've looked at so far are Relatively recent. The oldest one we've looked at is Cats, and that's from the 80s. Yeah. So today, we're looking at one from the 1950s. A musical from the 1950s that's about other people's cultures. And it's about the people royalty. who wrote it. <laughs> it's about <laughs> royalty. The two least problematic things. So We were, of course, uh, talking yeah, about it's... The King and I. Which I appreciate the title for sounding very grammatically correct, as I was telling you before mm-hmm. we recorded. So I'm high yeah. hopes. Originally titled "Me and the King," it was. <laughs> that's the reboot. Revi- the gritty yeah, reboot, reboot is grammatically incorrect. It's me and yeah, the king. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the future. It's in future. Siam. It's yeah. called Siam again in the future. <laughs> I guess this is my first Rogers and Hammerstein. 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 I think it's Hammerstein. Hammerstein. Okay. Me- I always hear it as Hammerstein. Music by Richard Rogers, lyrics and the book by Oscar Hammerstein II. Basis. Oh, this is really funny. Anna and the King or Anna and the King? Anna. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I think it's Anna and the King. Anna and the King of, uh. of Siam by Margaret Landon. Uh, it won the Tony for Best Musical in 1951 and has twice won the Tony for Best Revival. In 1996 and way back 100 years ago in 2015. Uh, it's based on the real life relationship of Anna Leah Owens. <laughs> Anna. Anna. <laughs> I'm sorry, a ghost just floated in. And... It could be read either way, Anna, Anna, right? Yeah, but it's no? not. Okay. <laughs> Jenny's just like shaking her Scru- fist in the air at us. Scrutinized. <laughs> uh, Anna Leah Owens, the governess slash teacher to the children of the King of Siam, Mongut, Mongkut, Mongut, I guess. Mongkut. 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 In the 1860s. 
Both the story itself and the musical have been scrutinized in recent years. What? Something was scrutinized in recent years? <laughs> Why? Thing problematic? Oh. <laughs> Never. Uh, it, it was scrutinized in recent years for Orientalism and the way it exoticizes Thailand in the Siamese monarchy. I know nothing about the Siamese monarchy, but I assume that, like most monarchies, it was probably not as great as the monarchy made itself out to be. I'm just a, a hunch there. <laughs> is. Uh, That's a, the Thai monarchy still kicking. Yeah. The role of King Manga originated by Yul Brenner, both on Broadway and in the 1956 adaptation, which is pretty faithful. And as you probably know, it made Yul Brenner a big star up until his death. He was a huge deal. Um, Yul Brenner was a Russian born, but has some Mongol ancestry. So it could be worse? Question mark. Yeah. It's like yellow face ish. <laughs> you know, because that's <laughs> it was the 50s, you know. It's okay. Like it's, Asian people didn't really play Asian, except for the kids. Like, actually, yeah. I take that back. There's a, like, in the movie, it, it really goes back and forth. There's a lot of. Uh, like some of the actors are kind of white people in yellow face and uh, the child actors are mostly uh, East Asian. It's interesting that they would cast the kids as East Asian and then not bother like making them in yellow face. Why do you think that was? Yeah, I don't know. The producers were like, there's the one bit of authenticity we can get. I don't know. I, I think it's in part because of that like low key racism of white audiences kind of seeing people of other races as infantilized. This is just me making assumptions, but I feel like producers in the 50s would kind of see that in order to accept this character as like a main character and a leading man, he needed to be played by a white actor, but the children are not burdened with that because they're kids. And so like a child of a different race is like fundamentally infantilized anyway. And that's fine. So that's just my assumption. And Mm. that's just like my sociological reading based on my, you know, years of reading film skull, (laughs) film essays. (laughs) It could be wrong, but that that's just my read. I mean, it's interesting to consider like, was it easier for them to have cast? Uh, What did you say they were? They were just sort of generic Asian kids or were they anywhere specific? Yeah, like East Asian. I wonder how many like children, East Asian kids would have been working in Hollywood at that time that they could have pulled from a pool of uh, from like a casting call or something. It seems like well, they, I don't know. I, w- I feel like you would know because it's like how uh, our friend here is a movie star who, <laughs> you know, how, how did they find a bunch of uh, Persians to oh, be in right. Argo? <laughs> like they put out a casting call. I didn't even people- answer. Yeah, I literally got a text from a person who was a PA on it. That's how I got on it. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. No, no. I didn't actually even... Oh, yeah. Okay. Fun fact. Yes, this is this is a random story of how I ended up in the movie Argo as an extra who ended up having lines that got cut, so you can't even tell. <laughs> but no, but one of our uh, classmates who was an Iranian um, or continues to still be an Iranian, who is an Iranian... <laughs> an ex-Iranian. <laughs> an ex-Iranian, was a production assistant on Argo. Uh, and she was texting me while they were at Ontario Airport. And she was like, dude, this is crazy. They've totally dressed the entire airport to look like Tehran. And she's like, it's fucking with my head because there's like pictures of Khomeini everywhere and it's like nuts. And I was like, oh my God, you have to get me on this movie. It's insane. Like I was trying to be a PA. I didn't want to act. And she was like, no, there's no PA lines, but you can come be an extra in the background and like storm the embassy. And I was like, fuck yeah, sign me up. (laughs) So I went and I was there for like two days, right? And I was just like storming the embassy over and over and over again. This is all going to be used like to arrest me at some point. (laughs) 
So when Kaveh Tahiri had stormed yeah. the American embassy and, ch- and chanted death to America, death to America. <laughs> in Farsi. I was, I was like, no, it's just for the acting role. And then at one point they were like, oh, you know, there's this press conference that happens. I don't know how well you remember the movie, but there's a woman that like they cut to the TVs or this woman's giving a press conference and there's a bunch of dudes standing behind her. Um, so apparently I looked like one of those guys. So they were like, yo, can we shave your beard into a mustache? And I was like, fuck yeah, even better. So they gave me a big old mustache. And then on the day that we were filming, I wasn't supposed to talk. And then Affleck came over and he just was like, who here can speak Farsi? And I was like, I do. And like all these other <laughs> oh my people God. did. <laughs> I love that he has the accent IRL. And the story's better <laughs> Who can speak Farsi? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he's just like, I refuse to believe that Ben Affleck does anything other than like marching through life with the thickest Boston <laughs> accent. <laughs> Who speaks fassy? <laughs> he gave me these random lines because, like, it's a press. So we staged the press conference, and it's like, mm-hmm. why are you like taking these people in? And we're like, they're not. Re-. And my line was like, they're not reporters; they're spies, and they've come here to blah blah blah. And apparently, my performance was too good because it was overshadowing everything. <laughs> it was in the too film. overpowering. Yeah. People were like, oh my god, this guy's gonna overshadow yeah. Ben Affleck, and that's not okay. So unfortunately, my performance, my Oscar-winning performance got cut however if you do watch the film uh i'm in it for like one second and then i'm also in the end credits so when they're showing the (laughs) the pictures of like the real people versus like the actors uh you can see me i'm like 30 pounds heavier (laughs) (laughs) i'm full on i'm not laughing that's (laughs) why i'm laughing movie star star yeah. stars born so yeah that is how you know that that's, that's how they find these kids yes. there's not that many kids it's only like 30 kids that's true varying in age from like 2 to 18 <laughs> so I'm sure they could find 30 East Asian kids yeah. in the greater Los Angeles area in uh, 1956 I, yeah. no I just all, all I meant was I'm sure that they existed obviously I'm sure there was plenty of them who wanted to be actors I just was like mm-hmm. I would imagine if like all those roles were like you know j- there's not a whole lot of roles for East Asian kids in Hollywood films yeah. at the time so it seems like they would have had to do and as we know most producers don't like doing extra work that's a jab mm-hmm. at myself having produced something <laughs> for you uh, so yeah, that was just my question there. But yes, it's it was a good excuse to uh, relive the Argo days. I still get like a yeah. check for like twenty five dollars, like every few well, months. Well, that was the thing. Like for months, I thought you were joking because, uh, like, I see, I would see like you would joke about like lol those Argo royalty checks, yeah. and sometimes you would like joke about it on Twitter, and I thought you were just making a joke about how like you know. <laughs> <laughs> like Argo is the yeah. only movie Ooh, with Persians yeah, in it. Yeah, I'm the Persian guy. I was in Argo. No, literally was. Uh, like no, he was literally in Argo, and I thought for months he was joking about that. Then he sends me a, a picture, like a frame, like his face <laughs> circled. Like no, I was in Argo. It's, so it's now, the only time I've acted it properly either, which is the weird part. Or, yeah, aren't you in SAG? <laughs> yeah, I got so they got what they call Taff Hartley because I had lines. So like <laughs> they had they, lines. Yeah. So no, like, see, to me that's because it's like your two big acting roles were the the lines that got cut where you like <laughs> decried the the American uh, embassy captives, captives and right. also your your turn as the Persian in oh, right, our right. Phantom of the Opera video. <laughs> I mean that one. You know what? You're a much more gracious director than Ben Affleck because you kept my lines in, which I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, and you gave me credit. Which I'm very yeah. happy about. So yes, thank you. Well, it was your idea because you you were joking before I was making that where you were like, well, if I if you need a Persian to be like the Persian, and I was like, actually, that's not a bad idea. I mean, so. this consistently happens to me when I sort of like half joke about stuff. Like that's what ends up happening. But the yeah. things I take Can really I be serious. A PA? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
No, you have to See, be that, in that, the film. So that's a that's the secret to success is like jokingly invite yourself into things. Worst case scenario, you get invited into things. I mean, literally, no, we're actually, on a podcast, no, this podcast about, yeah. which was a joke. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, po- the the podcast was a yeah. It was like before the cats movie came out, you were joking like, man, we should start a podcast about like how, how much, much I, I hate musicals. musicals, and you try to you try to talk me into liking yeah. them, and I was like. Sold. You know, ching like some money bags in my eyes. <laughs> and now Oprah. 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 <laughs> Do you think Oprah listened think, to it? I wonder if she did. Absolutely. You know she scrutinizes everything that her name goes on. That Oprah is quality control. 100%. You know, everything that her name gets attached to, Oprah. <laughs> He's like turning red. <laughs> Oprah uh, is here. Oprah uh, is like, I'm not putting my name on anything. That oh my God. Does I, not get my seal of approval. So. Oh, I can only imagine her listening to this being like, what the fuck are these idiots doing? <laughs> she probably would fire We're, the person who wrote the article. We are keeping the people entertained, yes. Oprah. People, like, unlike Oprah, what has she done for everybody lately? Yeah. So the king and I. Yeah, the king and I. <laughs> Well, it's funny because like, all right, well, speaking of Orientalism, we were we were discussing before we started recording about whether the term Orientalism really applies or not really applies, but whether there maybe should be a, a more specific term towards East Asian Orientalism rather than Middle Eastern, because the term yeah. Orientalism was originally conceived by a, Edward an, Said. A professor of Middle Eastern descent, Edward yeah. Said, and uh, was specifically about uh, Middle Eastern Orientalism. And then that term kind of got just like spread to like, you know, everybody east of Moscow. And, you know, the term is fundamentally about colonialism. And mm-hmm. Thailand is a very interesting case. And the King and I is a very interesting sort of snapshot of that case because Thailand, like Persia, was never colonized. Good for them. It, Good for them. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Have you been to Thailand before? I wish. I'd like to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'd like to go fucking anywhere before. Yeah, no, I know. I have some friends who have been in Thailand. Again, it's like, you know, it's kind of like Ireland in that it's one of those uh, countries that <laughs> was doing well because a huge chunk of their GDP is through tourism. Uh, oh. But yeah, I definitely know a lot of people who've been there. It's one of those countries that just has like so many, you know, beautiful options and you know go sit on one of those overwater bungalows and stuff and now like i'm in this part of i don't know about you guys but i'm in this part of the quarantine where i'm just like you know going on wiki travel and looking at like pictures (laughs) like like, oh you know there was a point in my life when i could have just gone there yeah it's weird to have that privilege revoked oh you know what i love to do is put on 4k walking videos on the television of like people walking through cities that's my shit i love that i do all the japan ones because i'm like remember when we went there babe oh man sarah i'm like remember that place we went here and then i just make myself sad but i don't know the second the option is open i'm like i think i'm just gonna go to japan because yeah apparently so i read something that they're gonna start allegedly there's a proposal that they will start paying people to boost tourism so, like, they'll pay, like, half your bill or something if you fly out there. I don't know if that's officially passed, but I was reading that that was the thing they're considering. I mean, because I've got a book to write or rewrite. Hell, because, yeah. Uh, I, and I need somewhere to do it. So. Oh, my God. Maybe we can go review Kabuki. Well, that's not quite a musical, but I saw, we <laughs> saw, Kabuki, I saw a Kabuki show when we were there. It was fucking awesome. 
Oh, there's, oh man, there's so many so like great. Japanese versions of popular musicals. Like there is a phantom. There's like, the, oh, the Japanese, Japanese love cats. Fucking fan. What? Oh yeah. What? Do, uh, <laughs> you need to, you need to look at oh, my Japanese God. cats where it's at. Like Japanese cats is like oh, my God. a trip. What? And it's all, it's all over YouTube. It's amazing. Like, Holy yeah. So, shit. So, yeah. <laughs> If you're listening to this, pause it, Google Japanese cats, yeah. and enjoy. Wow. Because if you thought Cats the movie was a trip, get you ready for Japanese cats. I, I kind of like the idea of not even knowing what it is and just having my imagination run wild with how fucking weird it might be and like different from what I would expect. Honestly, their makeup is so much better. I don't doubt like, it. You look at their, yeah, it's like you look at their makeup and you're like, Good yep, for you, Japan. Good for you. Like, <laughs> like, you're making it work in a way that it just never really did. So the king and I, is it actually, they don't write like songs in the style of Thai music, I assume, right? They're just like playing regular old straight up like It was, again, Rogers speaking of Orientalism. Yeah. yeah, it's like it did the thing that they so often did back then where it wasn't in the style of the music of the culture that it was basing itself in, but in the style of what Western audiences thought the music would be okay. So it, you know, it wasn't like so on the nose as, yeah. but it was kind of in that vein. They're like, ah, they can't tell the difference. That's yeah, just- yeah. So uh, this this one that we're going to watch, which is the um, 2015 revival. Oh yeah, the Bartlett um, Sure revival. You have this. Sorry, Sure Share. I wish it was Share. Oh my God, if Share was in the revival, yeah. If I could turn back the king. <laughs> I'd include more authentic representation. (laughs) But maybe this musical is still salvageable. Do you believe in biracial love? All right, yeah. So you, uh, you, 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 we'll just do all of our stats from now on in Fred Durst's share. (laughs) That'll be our new I've Got You, babe. (laughs) I could do a pretty good share impression. I love share. Who doesn't love share? Yeah, no. I mean, I do, guess. Uh, no, do I got you, babe, in the style of Fred Durst? Oh, go. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Well, I got you to hold my hand. <laughs> I got you to understand. <laughs> I got you. I'm trying to remember. I got you, babe. I can't do it. It's just cut this out. I got you, babe. Yeah, yeah please just fire me. I, no more. I don't, <laughs> I don't think this is going to get. I'm sorry, people Oprah. People want more Durst. Yeah, I'm what? sorry, Oprah. Oprah, I failed you. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, anyway, so we're just going to say it's the Bartlett Sure revival so sure. we don't get people's hopes up. Sure. Although, um, Cher, if you're listening, please do a revival. We would totally. I will come yeah, watch that. Do a revival of the king. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the, it was uh, it was widely praised for reexamining the problematic elements that uh, many have argued have not aged well. All right, I feel like we should have watched both, like just to see, because I was also curious, like why is this a classic that's endured well, I this think we, long? Honestly, I think we should. I think I haven't watched the movie in like at least ten years, so I think we should. I think we should watch both the movie, which is a pretty faithful representation of the musical and then we should watch the 2015 revival just so we can have that to compare and contrast yeah. because i mean they're both you know they're both kind of on the long end it's a 1956 epic but like i mean i like that yule brenner and again i haven't seen the whole thing in a while but you know the clips i rewatched while i was doing my light research for this mm-hmm. i'm like brenner can get it 
Yul Brynner can get it and (laughs) did. And I think, you know, people in the 50s were like, that guy can get it. And then the revival from 2015, which uh, stars Ken Watanabe, which I'm also looking forward to. He played this role a lot. Like he did it on Broadway. He did it in London. He did it on in the tour, which I'm pretty sure is the one that actually got filmed. Um, So he has definitely put his time in as a theater actor. So I'm really looking forward to watching that. That's cool. I mean, he seems like he could probably pull off the regal role very well. Uh, just from mm-hmm. his films that I've seen him in, I like him very much. A real quick question then is, what do you think, cons- why do you think this constitutes as a classic? Like, why do you think this one has lasted as long as it has that's been revived and people love it? Well, personally, even before uh, I even understood concepts like Orientalism and, uh, you know, exoticism and stuff like that, I remember as a kid genuinely finding the story compelling. I think there is that sort of fish out of water element that is Anna learning about the culture. Mm-hmm. She you know, initially does kind of find it icky because, for instance, he has a million kids because he has a million concubines. And of course, Anna coming from England where it's a one in one, she's like, ah. And that is, you know, a part of the story is her learning to understand and respect his culture while he does vice versa. And I think there is something fundamentally compelling about that kind of narrative Mm -hmm. where it's these two learning about each other and then, you know, add that layer of sexual tension on top of that. So the love story again, love story is a big part of it. They are in love. They oh, yeah. I mean, don't give the story. They don't give the well, ending away. It's a, I wouldn't say it's a love story. Or, well, I mean, it, it. I think it's one of those things where it's a love story, depending on how you frame it. Okay. But I think Rogers and Hammerstein definitely intended for it to be a love story, which also is kind of why I think they cast Yul Brenner because, um, like so many things before it, they wanted the idea of interracial romance, but. You know, it was still a little too risque, risque to actually depict it. So like the best they could do was like a Russian actor with some East Asian ancestry. It was like he had a toe. You know, he he dipped a toe in (laughs) East Asian. But like then because that was a big thing in the 50s. Um, I Love Lucy is another interesting example of a show that like had a really hard time getting off the ground because TV producers were like, this is an interracial couple. <laughs> like, Fucking and it's idiots. kind of funny. Yeah. It's idiots. kind of just like, cause Desi Arnaz is like a white dude who happens to be yeah. from Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> and like, even that was like too risque. And then of course it made it on the air. Uh, like it wasn't just the fact of like, that he was Cuban and she was, you know, Irish American. It was also the fact that they were really married in real life. Yeah. Uh, producers were like, yikes. But then people, of course, in the 50s were like, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, be, be, you, you know, so there really is this kind of divide between like lived experience in America and what people were willing to depict and be willing to see be depicted. Mm. So, yeah, there's it's, it's the gritty is. realism that Lucille brought. <laughs> <laughs> to television in the 1950s, the original yeah. reality TV, yeah. the real world. Let's see what happens. But you know, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, there is some truth to that because when they got divorced, that was when the show kind of went off the rails because people liked the idea that they were married in real life. Yeah. And so, uh, and same with Sonny and Cher, going back to bringing it yeah. full circle. When they, yeah, when they um, got divorced in real life, the dynamic was just gone. And yeah. so that was the end of their TV career, at least for the time being. 
No, Listen. that was the end of their TV career because neither of them came back. One went in congressman and the other became, became a icon. legend. Yeah, exactly. A icon. legend. We love you, Cher. I love Cher. <laughs> Here, Who doesn't we love Cher? Made, we hear a musical explaining, <laughs> Stan. Very pro Cher. <laughs> Unproblematic fave Cher. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go watch The King and I. Let's... But first, let's enjoy this silky Ad smooth. <laughs> <laughs> let's enjoy this silky smooth ad read. We'll be right back. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles. You can also get access to our streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. That's the name of the podcast in case you'd forgotten. Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators not by some corporate drone, terrible Silicon Valley types who don't love puppies. We love puppies here. We're very pro-puppy. When CuriosityStream is all about big-budget nonfiction videos, we're building Nebula because we want a place for smaller, independent, education-ish creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. You know, like mom-and-pop kind of stuff. With Nebula, you can see original ugh, content. Again... But anyway, you can see original content from creators like CGP Grey, Chris Exog, and eventually Lindsay and I will have some Nebula originals tying in with this very podcast that you're listening to right now. Assuming that you are actually listening to this ad in this podcast and you haven't skipped through it, I really hope you haven't. Because this is extremely entertaining for anyone who's listening to it, I imagine. Probably. Anyway, those Nebula originals will be made with the support of CuriosityStream. And so, in conclusion, you can get CuriosityStream plus our streaming service, Nebula, for only $2.99 per month or $19.99 for a full year? That's an insane deal. You got to do it. So go ahead and visit CuriosityStream.com to learn more. And now back to the podcast. And we are back. From the ad read, which I hope was helpful to everybody. Hopefully you signed up. Uh, so, Lindsay, I watched Cats again. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I watched <laughs> The King and I. We watched the, multiple the versions Kings of it. And I. The Kings yeah. and I, or as I like to call it, the gritty reboot is Me and the King because it's <laughs> darker. I should call you Sir from now on, I suppose. Yeah, I'll really appreciate it. Because <laughs> you have a scientific <laughs> mind. I have a scientific mind, so then I'll know this. Uh, that's not a dig. Yeah. That's actually a wait. No, I'm giving you respect. That's, a, that's your yeah. That's that's your underlying misogyny. Yeah. Unable to reconcile a scientific mind with womanness. This was crazy. This this experiment. <laughs> it was like yeah. I I have to say like, and I'm like I'm almost I'm not almost. I'm usually scatterbrained, but like I had so many. Like I sat up in my seat while I was watching the movie. And mm -hmm. it was like, it's sort the of the like Brenner movie, the Yul Brenner movie. And it like activated so many different things in my head. And I was like excited to watch the musical, uh, the 2015 version, which of course I was mm -hmm. fucking bored by because it's a musical and there's too many songs, but that's to be expected. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I had all these questions brewing in my head and I wonder if we should just start with the questions or the explanation. But the, the big underlying question I had when I was watching it, which I sort of shot myself in the foot by even thinking this out loud of like, I kind of wish I was able to watch, was it the 1950 musical that the movie was based mm -hmm. on? Because I was watching the musical, the 2015 version, and I was like, oh, there's all these extra songs. But I know that you said it was sort of like a updated, like more respectful version. And I didn't know how much that differed from the original musical. Like, did they add songs? Were there plot elements that changed? 
from what I can tell, it's pretty faithful. Okay. Um, I was kind of surprised. So we, the two versions we watched were first the um, 1956 film starring Yul Brynner and Deborah Kerr, and then the 2018 Lincoln Center filmed version starring uh, Ken Watanabe and uh, Kelly O'Hara. And I think my big takeaway from the second one is that I was surprised at how little it had changed. I think I was expecting something more in the vein of um, the new Oklahoma. Like I, you know, I jokingly call it Oklahoma, but really like the fan, like the fans call it the Oklahoma that fucks. Um, (laughs) Because everything has to fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Oklahoma. Oklahoma is intrinsically a deeply horny musical. It is a very thirsty musical. So teasing that aspect out is sort of in hindsight, like, ah, that's an easy and obvious way to update this. But the really interesting thing about the new Oklahoma was how it didn't change the text, but it changed the staging, it changed the framing, it changed like the way the actors approached certain lines. And that really ultimately changed the tone and the meaning. Poor Judd is dead. Poor Judd Fry is dead. He's looking all so peaceful and serene. So I was kind of expecting something in the vein of that because um, I I read conflicting reviews of this version. Some that were like, uh, you know, this is an interesting and necessary update. It really plays into the like question about colonialism and, you know, modernization versus uh, tradition, which I didn't think it did all that much more than the movie. I, no, and no. it still kind of retained a lot of these elements that are kind of, I feel like would be easy enough to fix. Like the fact that they all speak in broken English yeah. uh, and, you know, the screaming wives and little things like that, where it's like, yeah, I guess it would like take some minor changes to the text, but it really wasn't much different other than kind of having marginally more race appropriate casting and even that I feel like is kind of up for debate because there's definitely the question of if you cast East Asian actors is there a moral obligation to be more specifically correct than that you know like uh, the movie Memoirs of a Geisha where they cast a Chinese actress as the Japanese protagonist and there was like a big you know debate about that and like where you know where (laughs) so obviously I don't think there are any Thai people no but also I mean I'm sure there were but like well, None it also of the mains. reminded me that we were talking about when we went to see Phantom and colorblind casting. Mm-hmm. And like, it seems like here it's pretty important to like not have a white guy playing, you know, the king of Siam. But it, I didn't know how much of that necessarily matters in, in Broadway as much as it does in Hollywood. I assume it does. I, I like there were a few uh, principal dancers where I kind of had this like Steve Carell tasting wine <laughs> moment where it's like. This is a white. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wonder how much of it really did kind of come back. Because it seemed to be like it was male dancers that uh, were, I guess, functionally in yellow face, which kind of surprised me. But then again, it could also just be a question of like, we just could not find uh, an Asian dancer with the qualifications that we needed. Or maybe we could like, there's probably like some union crap in there as well. N- not that we don't love unions. We love unions. <laughs> But, you know, like the, the the actors' equity situation in New York is very, it's it's a whole thing. I don't know, like because uh, yeah, as, yeah. as like I said, a lot of questions when I was watching it. I was like, it made it <laughs> sort of just made me not like in a bad way necessarily. It just sort of like it it really made me think of like a lot of different things that I just like never considered. 
Well, it's funny because as I I was watching it with uh, Lisa and Paul, who edits the show yeah. uh, over Zoom, and she kind of was like, ha ha, I was once in an all white production of The King and I. And I was like, ha ha ha, of course you were. And then I was like, wait a minute. You grew up in Torrance. <laughs> Torrance is literally half Asian. It's like 50% of the population of Torrance is Asian. How? did? Could, and she's like, I don't know. Just no, no Asians try it out. So <laughs> there could be yeah. like, a, like, you know, there, there are layers to this. Yeah, I had a lot of thoughts. A lot of thoughts. So did you did you enjoy the musical? I should we should distinguish this. The, let's just call mm-hmm. the film the Yul Brenner version and the the musical the yeah. Broadway one. So how did you feel in general about uh, the musical? Did you like it or did you not really like it in general? Uh, I'm kind of with you. I think that the Lincoln Center version was a lot more boring, yeah. and the musical numbers that they cut from the stage show. Uh, in the movie, it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Most of the songs that they cut were just people complaining about other people. Yes. You know? Yes. Like, like, you know, or even some of the ones that they left in, like, I feel like the one of the worst songs is uh, the King song, A Puzzlement. Yeah. There are times I almost think I am not sure of what I absolutely know. And I feel like you could just like replace the audio with bitches ain't shit and it would be improved <laughs> for that. That's the and 2020 later, version or the 2021 when Broadway opens up, the one produced yeah. by Musical Spleen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like writing down like all these like hip hop songs that we could replace. Because <laughs> another thing that I realized as I was rewatching this I was like, oh, this is legit one of Rodgers and Hammerstein's weakest musicals. Because mm. uh, it really only has a couple songs that are memorable. Yeah. Um, and the rest of them sound like, you know, generic yeah, yeah. Rodgers and Hammerstein music. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because I was like, I watched the Yule Brenner version with my husband and like just about halfway through it, he's like, these songs are really bad. Yep. <laughs> yep. There wasn't a banger amongst them, except for obviously, I didn't know that getting to know you was from that. And it's weird that I know, again, I know that song and I have no idea where mm-hmm. I know it from because I had never seen the musical and I had no context for it. But obviously that song is popular enough where it's seeped into my mm-hmm. uh, understanding of the world without ever directly being exposed to it. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I feel like it was in a commercial or something in the 90s. I have no yeah, idea, wasn't it? probably. Because I definitely knew it before I'd seen this show. I guess, like, the one scene slash song that I really like from both versions is Shall We Dance, which I feel oh, like is... That's uh, Be Our Guest, right? That's the one? Yeah, I kept singing Be Our, be our guest. guest to Sarah. I was like, Be Our Guest, Shall Be Our dance? Guest. Shall We Dance, Be Our Guest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. On the clear understanding that this kind of thing can happen. Shall we dance? Shall we dance? Shall we dance? Staying on the on the topic of like the comparison between the two, and then I guess afterwards we'll sort of get into the merits of each one that we might have liked or disliked. Mm-hmm. I thought that the way that they paced and edited, not just as a film, but as like a whatever, as a story, uh, the mm-hmm. film, it to me it came off as a screwball comedy. Did you ever take <laughs> Drew, Drew Casper's uh, history of comedy class? No. So the the screwball comedy is like the old like Howard Hawks, like Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, or uh, mm-hmm. what's his name, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Cary Grant. Like it's Battle of the Sexes, right? It's right. Sort of like like uh, His Girl Friday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like His Girl Friday. It's basically a workplace comedy, and like that's what the film is. Yeah. It's a woman who gets hired at this new job, and like she spars with her boss, and kind of they're in right. love with each other. 
which yeah. I thought was really, I was like, oh, that's a really clever like structure or genre to bury into something. Like when you strip it all away, when you strip away the king and the and the kids and the kingdom and all the weird Uncle Tom's Cabin stuff, like it's that's effectively all <laughs> I, it is. One side note, I yeah. one thousand million percent forgot that <laughs> there was a Thai opera ballet adaptation of Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yes. I completely forgot about that. How do you like, forget that? That's like, I was like, what the fuck is happening when I was watching it? Not necessarily in a bad way either. I just was like, what? I, I mean, as I was watching, or I obviously fell down this rabbit hole. I was like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> and this was actually something like a lot of the weird shit in this either happened in real life or Annalee and Owens said it did. Because that's the thing is like Annalee and Owens is apparently like a very... Um, Unreliable, unreliable narrator. narrator yeah yeah historically speaking um she claims to have influenced um king chulalongkorn who's the kid and another side note interesting casting choice casting like a 30 year old as the <laughs> as the prince in the lincoln center yes. version they is just like this weirdly old guy who's jumping up and down yep. like a child yep. and yep. then he has like a bonding moment with uh Anna's kid, which does not work because he's 30. Um, <laughs> age blind casting, Lindsay. It's age blind yes. casting. <laughs> when I left my father a little while ago, he seemed uncertain about many things. I don't believe grown-ups are ever certain. So she claimed that the her influence on Prince Chula Longhorn and her telling him about Uncle Tom's cabin was what influenced him to, you know, end slavery in Thailand. He very publicly was like, Okay, she's writing some fan fiction. Like, this did not happen. <laughs> but then at first, I'm like, yeah, he's probably telling the truth. But then I'm like, well, then again, it is a monarchy. Right, you know? I was going like, to say, of course he's going to be like, well, no one influenced me. I came up. I mean, that's literally like half his lines are like, I'm a fucking genius. Yeah, so I know everything. Like Western paternalism versus monarchical egotism. So it's like, who do you believe? Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. I, I actually, I enjoyed the movie. Although the ending, I thought, was like really fucking weak. It just yeah, sort of peters I out. I that too. Yeah, and like there's a boat Uber that just shows up and like honks its horn. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this? She like looks at her phone yeah. and says, you have five minutes. <laughs> but, but uh, okay. So then the other thing, I, uh, the other point I wanted to make was like, I, and again, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning from this podcast. I've been, I've been applying the principles that we discuss and I carry them over. So I was thinking about the importance of casting in a role. And, you know, I actually really like Ken Watanabe as an actor. Uh, mm -hmm. And yet I felt like he was not great as the king in the musical. Uh, no, I agree. Especially compared to um, Yul Brenner. And, and I sort of broke it down piece by piece, like what it is I thought worked so well about Yul Brenner in the movie. And like a big part of it was his physicality that he mm -hmm. has this like, and I was looking it up. I guess he was like a fucking trapeze artist at some point. Mm, um, yeah. So if you look at the way he just plays it, like he's just... The the joke about his head being, you know, no one's head being below his made sense because he sort of has this weird, crazy, like he's bending around and moving and sort of like crawling on the floor. He's really limber. So like mm -hmm. it, the, the physical gag makes sense because you can see that that's the kind of person that he is and that's the kind of body he has. But when you write it into like somebody like Ken Watanabe, who's considerably looks like a taller guy, like a bigger dude who's not like all 
weird and lanky mm-hmm. the way that he is, like it just doesn't work. It doesn't come off as funny. It doesn't come off as like part of the character. It just sort of seems like he's saying the thing that the character is supposed to say, which probably was the thing, but like it doesn't mm-hmm. in a weird way, I guess, justify the rule. Like if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I felt like um, my issue with him was, I, I mean, probably based a little bit in expectation yeah. because I kind of thought that one of the changes they would make would be making him seem like a little more dignified. And he still kind of plays into this, you know, buffoonish. Yeah. Uh, just angry man child yeah uh, <laughs> which Joel Brenner and, did but you know what it is it's like he still had this sense of like he's boyish right yeah he's not I mean he is spoiled but he's not like belligerent the way that Ken Watanabe plays it he almost in a weird yeah. way is kind of charming because he's kind of naive almost yeah, although in 2020, I feel like yes. it's kind of a bad look. Well, of where, course. Like, there's this song where the one of the head wife comes in and starts singing about, like, how he's an emotional person who leads with his heart. And if you want him to get anything done, you need to manipulate him by stroking <laughs> his ego and telling him what he wants to hear yeah. and making him think that everything is his idea. I'm like, I don't know. That, that would have been charming four years ago. <laughs> It reminded me of my big fat Greek wedding. But they're like, we have oh, to make yeah. him think that it's his idea. And he's like, ah, you see the men. That, that's what I thought of. Yeah. I feel like the songs that were cut from the show were mostly kind of a, a good call. Because like there's, yeah. except for like, there was one between like the two kids, which I think would have been funny if like, you know, Prince Chula Longhorn was played by a kid. Uh, <laughs> where, it, But again, it's basically parents just don't understand. Yeah, it's like, it follows- that's exactly the note that I wrote in the book, <laughs> yeah, too. Like, I was like, well, that, you know, replace it with literally parents just don't understand. And age age Chula Longcorn down and we're good. Can you tell me why they fight? They fight to prove that what they do not know is so. I mean, honestly. Because at first I was like, well, maybe they're being like historically accurate and Prince Chula Longcorn was older. And I looked it up like, no, he was about 12. Like <laughs> they aged him up for no reason, I guess. Yeah, I feel like you could do like a, a girl talk mashup of this, like where you just mash all these pop songs together that like essentially yeah. explain <laughs> like what the essence of each scene is. But like you have like a popular song that somebody knows. That's that's a yeah. thing, right? Was that don't they do that in like uh, what's the the Baz Luhrmann movie? The Romeo and Juliet? No, no, no. The other one. The one he did after. <laughs> Australia. Nope. <laughs> Greg Gatsby. No, the other one. The Ewan McGregor uh, one. His musical, Boz, the Boz Lerman experience. Boz Lerman, oh my God. I'm going to go crazy because I don't even remember the name of it. Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge, yes. Don't they sing like famous songs in that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A jukebox musical. Is, is that the what the term that? is? Yeah. They should just yeah, do a jukebox, jukebox musical. musical of The King and I. Yeah. I think I, w- I would honestly I'd watch the like, fuck out of that. Uh, yeah, I'd watch the shit out of that. <laughs> Because going back to your point about the screwball comedy and sort of that like dynamic, I think it's like that, you know, I'm here for it. Like, I love his girl Friday. And also like just the general like, you know, we're learning about each other's cultures slash, you know, I'm frustrated by you slash, you know, slow burn into friendship. I'm like, that is one of my favorite dynamics. Like, you know, pump that shit into my veins. You know, you love to see it. (laughs) But my but my main problem is like and I feel like watching the the musical second, which was a lot longer, is that they spend a lot more time separate and yeah, singing about yeah. how they don't understand each other exactly. rather than like actually having scenes yeah, yeah. where they Friction. like learn about each other. Mm-hmm. 
which, you know, to me, like, you know, the scene where he writes the letter to Abraham Lincoln, which... Yeah, with the uh, elephants and all that. Yeah, did actually happen. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Anna Anna didn't have anything to do with it, and it took place over, like, three years. He actually wrote to Buchanan, and it didn't get there until Lincoln was president. <laughs> and I don't think he was, like, specifically offering war elephants. He was just kind of like, hey, you know, elephants are pretty good beasts of burden Hell if yeah. you want some. Uh, Can you imagine? But he did... Yeah, he did offer the United States elephants, and Lincoln did politely decline. Wow. That would have been awesome if they had brought them in. Our whole history would have been different. Yeah. If he had just the accepted Civil the elephants. The Civil War elephants. would have... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I well, have one okay. note let's, here. Let's that's, talk about the, yeah, the, talk about the feminism. Because I have... Like, my notes are... Uh, like, I just have the word Karen. Yeah, that's exactly the note that I had, too. The, the musical opens with her demanding to talk to the manager. She literally fucking lands in Thailand. She's like, I need to talk to the manager. I was promised a fucking house, not in the kingdom. Give me a better room. I need an upgrade in my room. (laughs) And like, and then I have, oh, no, the feminism. Um, Oh, no. Because this is, you know, it's actually also, you know, it is based on truth. Anna, Anna Leon Owens was very annoyed with the way (laughs) women were treated in Thailand and was like, I can teach you how to do good. And then kind of took credit for it when, you know, progress was made in the following decades mm. it's it's not a great look in in this era yeah. of karen yeah. <laughs> although i don't is it fair to call i mean obviously the internet's ruined our brains so anybody that demands anything or talking to a manager is automatically a karen but like yeah. is isn't the karen sort of like the person who demands something unreasonable because they're selfish right no i think a karen is just someone who shows a lot of entitlement and i don't think i would have had that note if she hadn't been so paternalistic. And if the text hadn't also been that paternalistic mm-hmm. where, you know, we're blowing their minds by saying that the world is round, you know, like they would know that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what did snow like that? And I was yeah, like, what uh-huh, is snow? Really? Like, Nobody fucking mountains. left Thailand ever. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like the Himalayas are right there. Like, yeah. I mean, they're not in Thailand. Oh, but, right, you know, right. They're close enough. <laughs> I mean, the only argument you can make in terms of the story is that like those kids have never left maybe the fucking kingdom. Yeah. But, like that's the only way you could have justified it. And it's, and it's especially weird, again, with, like, the aged-up uh, Prince Chulalongkorn, who yeah. is 30. And it's like, it doesn't didn't really bother me in the movie as much, because it's mostly kids, kids that are yeah. like, no, the world is flat. And and the kid is, like, 11 or 12, so it's like, okay, sure. Uh, you know, this this kid, I mean, it's still, you know, a little paternalistic and racist, and he, he's still a kid. Yeah. But, you know, in the, in the musical, when he's just an adult (laughs) that is what Thai ballet looks like I have to say like I found it fascinating because I was like this is the weirdest fucking thing I have ever seen in a musical and I have yeah and the fact that it came out in the 50s I was like what the fuck were they smoking when they were like sure like we're just gonna have him bring uncle I but I guess like you said that apparently it actually happened but it it was well she said it she said let's just take it yeah like asterisk um like but the the ballet did not happen and tupped him was another historical figure that Anna may or may not have just made up out of whole cloth because mm. she did claim that there was a wife who had a lover and went to like uh, the monastery where he was monking and got caught and then got executed. Mm, okay. Um, but like, there's not really any historical evidence for this. Um. But we got to see Rita Moreno for a minute. So that was cool. Like in the movie anyway, not in the musical. <laughs> I, I was fascinated by it just in terms of being like a really strange narrative device. 
right? The mm-hmm. show within a show, but then also yeah. like... Well, I think the thing is like Uncle Tom's Cabin, I don't think had the bad... It definitely didn't have the pejorative connotation no. that it has now in the 50s. Like certainly white America was not aware if, if that was indeed the case. Sure. Uh, but I think another thing was like, you know, it's amazing how you go in with these expectations. Like, you know, obviously the Thai the ballet wasn't super accurate, but mm-hmm. it was like stylized in a way that was like actually not that far off. Um, it was beautiful like though. Like the way they do I the like... That was really lovely. No. Like just as a piece of like dancing and colors and the yeah. costumes. Like it was really beautiful. Yeah. So that's especially in the 2018 version. It's like, yeah, that's more or less how they dress and how they move. Like that. that is like, I think the only real difference from what I could tell with like real Thai ballets is real Thai ballets tend to be less animated and a lot slower. Mm. I also realized as I was watching it, like, I don't know. I did not know the plot of Uncle Tom's Cabin. I've never read it. I was, just, I was I hoping know. you had read it because I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? I even went online, by the way, afterwards. And I was I was trying to look for Uncle Tom's Cabin. The King and I explained. And there's some reason that's like, <laughs> like that's not on the internet by the way sidebar that's an interesting idea for a video if like, you hey, want to make hey, one does anyone want to do uncle tom's cabin in the king and i Explain. do you want to like go through this like ouroboros of like cultural appropriation because like did i yeah i think i wrote this down where it was like okay that seems like a hell of a youtube video yeah white <laughs> authors depicting an asian art form as Portrayed by Asian characters adapting a book about black slaves in America, written by a white woman, white woman in America, <laughs> like, brought to them by a British woman. Yes, it's just there's just this there's fucking just like globalism this, right there. Yeah, the entire like this, world. This or this Ouroboros of just awkward and like because I I don't know what to make of it. I'm not going to be like yo, this is problematic, and here's why. I'm like, well, I I, ha- yeah. I don't know what happens in Uncle Tom's Cabin. That makes it pejorative. Actually, I do know because I, I Googled it. But like basically <laughs> Uncle Tom's and Uncle Tom f- features basically not at all in the ballet because uh, the issue with Uncle Tom is basically that he's, you know, he's perfect. And then um, he dies uh, <laughs> horribly. And so the fact that like he is perfect and very like, you know, subservient. Yes, yeah, subservient. Um, uh, you know, does what he's told and always does the right thing and is very Christian. And so when he dies, he, you know, inspires other people to be Christian and be good. And that's his, like, you know, impact on the world. So the the ballet is mostly about Eliza, who, right. uh, as, as I understand it, is a very minor character. But I guess, like, the focus on her is, is I, it's, yeah. And then Buddha shows up, like, right, she, like, like Jesus. As an angel. She, she prays to, to, like, again, it's just like... You see this all the time where, where like in, you know, Western media, they just like swap out whoever the deity is and treat them like it's Jesus. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like even like in like Disney's Hercules where you get down on your knees and pray to Zeus. Like, yeah. like that's, <laughs> that's what they that's how it worked. Like, no, like <laughs> I, I understood functionally within the story what the, the purpose of it was. But I was like, holy shit, I don't know anything about like Thai culture. I don't know anything about fucking Uncle Tom. I mean, I know a little yeah, bit like, about Uncle Tom. I was like, this, this is. is so fucking okay. over my head. But it was just, yeah. it's so weird that I was like, it's kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. just based on the purely visual of it. And they avoided blackface both times. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks That's for that. That's more than most people can say these days. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the, the 56 version was forward thinking enough to not do that. I'd, I'd be very curious. I think this is something. And again, another weird thought that I had was like, maybe Twitter is good. 
because I was like, people who listen (laughs) to this, I'm like genuinely interested, like what kind of interpretations they have or what kind of information they could give us because we're basically totally ignorant of a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I I feel like that must be why there's no Uncle Tom's Cabin explained because it is such like... It's just such a mess. I mean, like, where do you even start? Yeah. And First also, of all, like, the, the king fact- was the king of yeah. Siam. I don't know. If you look at something like Song of the South, I feel like is a lot easier to deconstruct because there are, there are just like fewer elements at play. You know, there's fewer balls in the air where it's right. just like Disney adapts these stories, the Uncle Remus stories in an animated movie and like okay go so i feel like that one there's a lot more scholarship on that because no no this yeah like, this is like fucking christopher nolan <laughs> like inception level of like weird yes. fucking yeah. you know parody within a parody races within a races within a race and i'm like yeah, i don't even yeah, know where yeah, we are anymore yeah. we're like in fucking which ken watanabe brings it all back yeah because like at first at first i was like watching it and i was kind of horrified and then by the end of it i'm like i don't like i know they did something wrong yeah. but i don't <laughs> Exactly what but it I don't, was. I'm, I'm, I'm like too ignorant yeah. to know what exactly so is wrong. Yeah, I was like, I can't. Yeah. I'm glad you felt that way because I was like, I'm a fucking idiot because I don't even understand what's happening right now. But yeah, it's like next levels. I, I also felt that way about the again. I was like, when I was watching, I'm like, fuck, I'm totally out of my element on this. So when you watch the movie, for example, right, the sets, the way that they're colored and the way that they're painted and designed, it sort of looked like it was half Indian. But I don't, again, I don't fucking know enough. You, know, to really like you don't know how wrong that is. I don't know how wrong it is. Like, I just don't. I don't know. Because again, like, uh, India's just right there. Like, obviously, there's going to be some, <laughs> some back and forth. Like, you know, trading some silks. But that's also, trading. yeah, that's also what I'm thinking, too. It's like, okay, well, it's in the 50s. Like, that's not the current climate that we're in now. So people aren't going to be around, like... There's no person in the 50s being like, excuse me, that's actually like East Indian and like this is Thai and like that's mm-hmm. from fucking yeah. Mongolia or whatever the fuck country that they would have just slammed a bunch of stuff into it to make it. They're probably just like, ah, this looks Asian, whatever, or Oriental is what yeah. they would have said at that time. Well, but. I mean, I feel like like for the ballet, they they must have gone to some Thai ballets to be inspired that looked by pretty, it. Like, yeah, it looked pretty, yeah. Because I like I'm guessing it's not, you know. Uh, like again, I've only seen a few Thai ballets on YouTube, but like I, I'm, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where you compare it to something like Disney's Mulan, where they just kind of take aesthetic inspiration from like you know some from Korea, yeah, here's whatever. a little from Japan, yeah. Which, you know, it's just sort of like it doesn't really commit to a culture, yeah. and that tends to be like the ish with a lot of um, media made by Westerners about Asia. Uh, so I, f- I feel like in this one, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like just at least for the ballet, they did a little research, but then again, like y- the same could be said for Disney. It's a, a lot. I was not expecting to be this like out of my own. El- not that I'm in my, in my <laughs> yeah. fucking element in this podcast ever, but like even just from like a, like just a glancing knowledge of something. I'm just like, Nope, I don't know. I don't know. So anybody who's listening, they can totally at us and be like, actually, yeah. this is a, this is an opening for a lot of actuallys to come our way. Vox, yeah. uh, we need Uncle Tom's cabin as portrayed in The King <laughs> yeah. and I Explained. Yeah. That's your job. Yeah. We need our explainer. <laughs> um, so I guess like about halfway through the movie, I kind of realized like, oh, this is basically just a dry run for The Sound of Music. Uh, uh, yeah, the song sounded similar too. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the plot, like, it has so much in common with the sound of yeah, music. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for, you know, it's just like, you know, older rich guy. Well, I don't I don't know. If, well, we'll say she's younger. Uh, yes. But then also you have, like, the B plot of the Forbidden Lovers, and they have a song which is bad. Oh, yeah, you're and, right. Like, they have their 16 going on 17, which is not good. Bunch and of then, kids. Um, 
yeah, there's a bunch of kids. We have like the song with the kids and like, you know, doe a deer being kind of equivalent to getting to know you. So it's like there's a I, yeah. Hmm. yeah, yeah, it feels it feels like a dry run for the sound of You're music right. because right. it it has so much in common with I the sound totally of music. But I immediately like after I finished this, I, I like it was like midnight and I'm like, oh, sound of music. What is three hours? That's fine. I'll just watch it till I get bored. And of Ooh. course, I watched the whole thing. So ah. I'm like. <laughs> Sound of Music holds up, you know, granted, I think like, well, the Sound of Music movie is a much better made movie than the King and I movie because it's, it uses movie stuff. Like it uses like sets and locations and, and like the camera, camera moves. Work, yeah. Yeah, I was say. yeah. Cause like the King and I, the movie feels like a film stage production. Like yeah. uh, it relies really heavily on, on the central characters, like just their dynamic, which works as far as I'm concerned. But imagine if there was like cinematography. I know it could have been crazy. <laughs> Close. I mean, not not that there's not, but it's like just nowhere near as sophisticated a movie as The Sound of Music. Yeah, and yeah. Sound of Music was only like eight years later. Because yeah, I was like, a this movie holds up. I haven't really seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. But I think like the the main takeaway I take from that is you know Christopher Plummer was always the dad, but yeah. I didn't realize he was daddy. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Plummer Woo. in that movie. I'm like, can we just start Plummer cast right now? Like, <laughs> I just, I'm just like, I just want to talk about Plummer Christopher cast. Plummer and the sound of, yeah. I mean, I wanted to talk about Yul Brenner being my new shaved head hero and like someone that I want to aspire to. He was definitely, um, again, another term I've learned from you in the music and the podcast is like, he was definitely a daddy, whatever, like <laughs> 75 times over apparently. But I was like, is that what yeah. that's what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> well, I mean, he was a dad, but a he's dad. not daddy. Oh, he's like not Christopher daddy. Plummer's daddy. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Well, well, I think he's he's a little too childish. Mm, okay. He throws tantrums and stuff. Daddy, daddies keep it cool. That's Christopher Plummer. Okay. All right. I think that's what I wanted. The Ken Watanabe version. I wanted. I wanted him to go from dad to daddy, but he's still kind of a <laughs> screaming child. <laughs> This is my new self-help book from Dad, Dad to, to Daddy, Daddy in 30 days. <laughs> and it's just Christopher Plummer and Patrick Page and like all these other <laughs> all the, these other heroes of the musical the world. <laughs> now that's a daddy. Now that's a daddy. Shit. All right. Well, that's I, another thing I found out from uh, Jenny Nicholson's new um, Land Before Time uh, piece episode. That she put up. You know, the Triceratops Sarah from the Land Before yes. Time. Her daddy's canonical name is Daddy Tops. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Holy shit. That's amazing. Daddy, I know. I'm like, wow. can I ch- I'm changing all of my online Daddy handles Tops. to Daddy Tops. Jesus. That's <laughs> like incredible. I would do it today, but it feels a little flippant and inappropriate. Oh, one to just save it in your back pocket for a rainier day. Yeah. When we're going to need something Tops. like that. <laughs> I did really enjoy the movie. I loved the sets. I love the color. And if you've seen, you've seen a lot of my artwork. I sort of live in that weird, like pink pastel kind mm-hmm. of brighter color. I was like, yeah. oh, this is fucking this is right up my alley. Movie. Yeah. I was like, that's yeah. my shit. I was like, that's totally right up my alley. I, I, it kept me interested. And that, that was the other, the last thing I'll say is that again, about the, the musical, the set again, because now I'm a musical expert and I've seen like six <laughs> And I was like, I found the set to be incredibly boring and like unimaginative. It was literally just these fucking posts that come in and out. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. Particularly when you're watching stuff like Beetlejuice or 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 Hades Town. I'm like, they just didn't do shit. They're like, nope, we're gonna rely on our two leads 
but like it doesn't work. It you need you needed a little bit more spruced up. I mean, until like the Uncle Tom's Cabin part. Well, I feel like it started really ambitious, like with that ship. Like, wow, that yeah. looks amazing. But then it just kind of ref- defaults back to floor and curtains, which I guess I did find a little surprising. Yeah, considering how much money went into this, I it's guess they blew their basic. wad on. What's not basic? Yeah, it's super basic. I was really disappointed. Again, so now again, I'm on the other side of the of the rabbit hole, whatever through the looking glass, and I'm like, I demanded more production value from the stage <laughs> show. This is Lincoln yeah. Center. What not is community this? center? I don't even like musicals, and I know that this is some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you. When they do these modern interpretations of old stuff or like classics, like you said, Oklahoma, they didn't actually change, in, or they changed a lot of the performances and how they move, but they don't at any point, do they add new songs ever? Um, I've never seen it. Okay. And I think in order for it to be considered like Oscar and Hammerstein's, uh, whatever, they can't just add new shit that they didn't write. They can take it out and they can swish it around. Uh, like cabaret is one of those shows that I don't know if we'll ever get to because there is no tour and no good filmed versions of the one that I like. Mm. But, um, it changed a lot from like the version in the late 60s and then the movie was super different, but it was the two composers that made new music for the movie and then they revived it again in the 80s, this time with a bunch of music from the movie and it was just way, 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 way different. But yeah. it was still like considered the same show, just the new version written by the same composers. So, uh, no, I don't, th- I think they can maybe, they can like tweak stuff, but I don't think they can add new songs or else it's just not considered like Oscar and Hammerstein's The King and I. It's you know, sure. Bob Stevens, the king. And I. <laughs> I was thinking of the uh, of like the Disney movies that are I mean, that's a much shorter timeline, but going from animated to live action, that's a sort of reinterpretation. And I think like mm-hmm. like Aladdin or Be- Beauty and the Beast or Spine those, King, they're adding songs. Whenever they? they add new songs, it's always by the same composer. It's the same composer every time. All right. The songs they added to Beauty and the Beast, A, was really soon after it was done. B, they had to hire uh, a new lyricist because Howard Ashman died while Beauty and the Beast was still in production. So he had to get replaced. But generally, like whenever they add new songs, they were probably already written for earlier versions of the sure, animated okay. movie yeah, or they yeah. were, either way, they're going to be written by the same person. Got so, it, got it. you know, there's guild rules, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that about wraps it up for us for The King and I, or again, me and the king, depending on how you feel about grammar. How entitled you are, yeah. Karen, putting yourself before the king. Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry. But, huh? <laughs> uh, it was interesting, though. I, I have to say, I, I didn't dislike. I disliked the musical because I was just was exhausted and it was like 100 million hours. But <laughs> it was really long. It was really long. But <laughs> it was way longer than it needed to be. Yeah. But this one was good. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to yeah. workshop like what we're going to do next. Yule Brenner Fox, Yule Brenner can get it. Yeah. yeah he gets Yule Brenner Fox. Yule Brenner Fox for sure. I was like, I was feeling it. I was into it. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> on that note, on that note uh, you can follow us on uh, Instagram. We are at Musical Splaining. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Musical Splaining with no G. I am at Cavitarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. Lindsay? I'm at the Lindsay Ellis on Twitter and name brand Lindsay on Instagram. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. We'll see you, see at, you at the, the pre recorded <laughs> At the podcast. <laughs>